Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Jim Fannin Show. Today we're talking alternative fuels, specifically ammonia. On the phone with me now, the founder of Hydrofuel Inc., Greg Vesna. Greg, tell us a little bit about your plight, for lack of a better term, and how are things going trying to bring an alternative fuel to the market? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Jim. Um, well, this has been about a 35-year effort, but I'm not the only person that's been trying to do this. Um, most people don't know that ammonia is a fuel. It's made up of hydrogen and nitrogen. There's more hydrogen in a pound or a unit of ammonia than there is hydrogen in any hydrocarbon fuel, which are mostly carbon, or even in liquid hydrogen. So ammonia is an, e- an easy, neat way to use hydrogen fuel, and it's much easier to store and handle hydrogen as ammonia than it is to use it almost in any other way, certainly not, uh, better than liquid hydrogen. Well, that's been the drawback of hydrogen is that you need a fuel cell, which requires uh, precious earth materials and or the hydrogen's just unstable at a normal temperature so well, storage and transportation of such you know, is, is life tough. cycles for equipment and all these other issues but you know there's no there's no question that ammonia can be used as a fuel and will be and has been you know since before we used hydrocarbons uh, originally steam there were there were uh, street cars and other vehicles that ran on ammonia where the where it was, it was heated it's gas and they'd expand and provide Propulsion. Rudolf Diesel, the inventor of the diesel engine, built ammonia engines before he went to diesel and hydrocarbons because they were easier to handle. And they went from a, a steam or compression-based technology to an internal combustion engine where you burn a fuel. But, you know, ammonia was used uh, for the X-15 rocket, which was fueled on ammonia and oxygen, and, and it's the fastest uh, it still has a record from the 1960s of the fastest anything has ever flown at Mach 7. Um, there's a lot of energy there if you can store it and handle it and liberate it, and it turns out that it's very much like propane. Uh, but you, you know, it is also caustic and toxic, like anything is toxic in big enough amounts. So you have to handle it properly. But ammonia is the second most manufactured commodity on Earth. People don't realize how many hundred, you know, there's hundreds of millions of tons of this stuff made annually and used manufacturing. Uh, and there's pipelines, you know, up the middle of America, 5,000 miles. So, you know, it's used on a massive way already in agricultural, agriculturally and in manufacturing. And it has an exemplary safety record. People hear about accidents. There are always accidents. Sure. Uh, the safety record, you know, per metric ton mile delivered of ammonia, as opposed to any other form of energy, liquid fuel, et cetera, is night and day. It's like one in 1,000th the number of accidents or deaths. So we have an infrastructure we, 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 we can use to, uh, to use ammonia as a fuel, and we have a lot of people with a lot of experience dealing with it in the heating and air conditioning industry and other industries uh, that could you know, easily use, uh, be trained to use it for automotive purposes and power generation. So it really is a wonderful little fuel out there, and there's a lot more uh, sunlight, water, and air and wind on Earth than there is you know, tar sands. Now, what's it going to take as far as modifications to the average, typical car engine? Well, you wouldn't. Or is go that to something the, we don't want to go to? Well, you wouldn't. The consumer market is probably, unfortunately, the last place you're going to go. Okay. The, you know, fifty percent of transportation energy demand is in fleets and trucks, 
and they have centralized fuel stations and it's much easier to enter in that market but there's also a huge market for it in agricultural use because farmers have their own ammonia tanks already right and the beauty of it is and you know the whole we have this whole infrastructure to deliver ammonia the manufacturers fill up these storage tanks for six months and in a couple of weeks the farmers empty them all and then they fill up again but if it was used for a fuel, and it will run, you know, farm equipment just like a propane conversion, essentially, it'll run generators, it'll run, you know, stuff on a farm. If the inventory became throughput instead of stored, you know, you could fuel probably 10% of the vehicles. According to U.S. study, you could fuel uh, uh, 90% of the vehicles in the 100 largest cities in the United States on ammonia with the existing infrastructure if you just built the fuel stations. And, and you can't do that with any other fuel, you know, if, unless it's a hydrocarbon, right? Got it. What about distribution? Well, that's your distribution issue, right? So you've got a huge infrastructure that is stationary used for storage that you now make throughput, and you now move it through it like you do with pipelines instead of storing it. Uh, and and you got a huge just you know, even if we started tomorrow, Jim, it would take us 50 years to totally get off hydrocarbons. Okay, this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. Right. But we could we could replace 10 percent of our hydrocarbon use with ammonia using an existing infrastructure. And if we manufactured the ammonia from green sources or captured the carbon in it and then, you know, made it urea and then stopped fertilizing with ammonia, fertilizer with urea, and then you don't have the runoff, et cetera, et cetera, you know, we can eliminate 10% of the energy we use on Earth to make that ammonia from, you know, from hydrocarbons. And we can eliminate 10% of the CO2 emission. And it doesn't cost more money to do it than what we're doing now. In fact, it actually costs less because you get more money for the two two tons of urea than you do for the one ton of ammonia. So where are you finding that you're getting stopped and politically or out in the marketplace? What's the, what's the holdback? I, honest to God, honest to God, I think, I think it's probably because they don't believe it's too good to be true. There's now so much research that's come out, especially in the last year, uh, about this that, that, that it's it, and in fact the research study says exactly that there's an IEE report which is the largest association in the world of you know scientific and technical people and and it uh, it came out with a report in November of 2012 called uh, the dual fuel strategy and 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 it said this report is based on a 1980 report which is based on a 1965 report done by a Professor Green, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and Professor Green said to America, and this is when the military was building ammonia cars and trains and trucks and planes for the U.S. military, right? And they were building them, General Motors and all the big boys, defense contractors, everybody's there. Uh, but they were going to use portable nuclear reactors to make the fuel, and when they figured out that didn't work, then they killed the, the, the whole back end of the project. But they, they utilized the technology in every way, and they knew how to do it. And so this 2012 report says, we can't believe that they're not doing this already. Like, what's wrong? Because it's known that you can do it. So I think the biggest resistance, obviously there's resistance to change. Uh, obviously there's vested interests. I can tell you that the province of Ontario, uh, when they did their green plan, and if they had not subsidized anything and done full cost accounting on polluting products, health care costs, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we'd be a lot further down the renewable energy road, and we wouldn't you know, be giving 5 and $6 billion subsidies to Samsung in Korea. It certainly would... Uh 
We're looking to level the playing field, I guess is what you're saying with the subsidies, right? Exactly. Stop picking the winners and losers. Which the government traditionally is not very good at. Which governments love to do. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't have unfettered free enterprise because under the NAFTA agreement, you know, the Americans will want to sell rat poison to our children or get paid not to. So, you know, <laughs> you got to be careful with the balance. But, you know, what's the bottom line? Oh, we're going to subsidize this thing here and this thing here. And we're going to make you put them there and there. And we're, this is going to be our strategy, except when they did this thing, they didn't have a strategy. They didn't do any analysis. This is well known. And had they done site analysis, and had they done infrastructure comparisons, and if had they said, okay, what do we have that we're flushing into our sewer system or our lakes? Oh, we have agricultural runoff. We have, you know, hog farms and pig farms. Oh, well, that's ammonia. And we're flushing it into our systems and dealing with it. We can actually turn it into a fuel cheaper than we can do biomass, cheaper, you know, than we can use methane. So if they'd analyzed the thing, if they'd sat down and looked at what are the, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25-year consequences and comparisons and compared that to shutting coal plants and then opening natural gas plants for 25 years because they can't handle their green power, they would have done it entirely differently. Greg Vesna is my guest. Greg, after the break, we were just going to set this up for a quick break. And after the break, I want you to tell me who's in your pocket, who have you talked to, who's supporting you on this, and what's the next step for you. Uh, Greg Vesna is my special guest. We're talking about alternative fuels today on the Jim Fannin Show. You're listening to 610 CKTB.